This is College Football Weekly. College football like you've never heard it before. Now, here's Will Chambers and Tyler Walgie. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm Will Chambers. To my left, professional better Tyler Walgie. Tyler, how you doing? Week zero out of the way. Week one coming up. Look, week one's actually out of the way. Week two's coming up. No. So it's exciting. I know you. It's I know, always great. I know, I know you're going to die on that hill, but it's it's good that we can differentiate between week zero and week one. I mean, week week zero. Let's you know, it was fun. It was great, to, obviously, to have college football back. I'm not complaining. Watching these games mm-hmm. was a blast. Mm-hmm. But it it is different than week one. And to me, you can't have. What is week one? You can't call that week two because now is week two. It was imaginary make-believe football week. None of it mattered. (laughs) It was all imagination land. Well, the the games were fun, that's for sure. So the Miami-Florida game, uh, it was sloppy to say the least. Yes, it was. It was fun though, right? I mean, it was entertaining. Uh, I know it wasn't great. You didn't have a lot of precision offense, right? The quarterback struggled. The offensive lines were really bad, but it was fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you can put a whole lot of blame on the players for this. What we saw was a week one performance, in my opinion. A lot of missed tackles, a few, you know, you, you don't see the big plays being made in week one. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to be getting high-scoring games here or there, but in general, no, it was a week one game. You get a few mistakes. Look, Dan Mullen wasn't at his best. Manny Diaz, well, we don't know how good he can be as a head coach, but right. he made a couple mistakes, that's for sure. And uh, it's different under the those lights, man. You can practice all you want to, but out there against Florida, Manny Diaz had some errors, but look, I chalk a lot of that up to week one. That's yeah, simply it. for sure. Or week zero, whatever. <laughs> the first game of the season, you're going to make some mistakes. No, you're right. I mean, I think Dan Mullen showed some signs to me. I mean, both these teams, are they're kind of like mirror images of each other. They both have pretty good defenses. Obviously, both need to We're clean up. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> both, both, both of these defenses have to clean up some of those tackling issues. A couple of those touchdowns were just purely off. How of, much of that's week one, though? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can just blame it on week one. I feel like if you're a good coach, your your players should be ta- be ready to. They should tackle week one also. But oh. that's something they can improve on for sure. It's not. I don't think they'll be like that all year. But then you also saw both teams with. I mean, really, Miami especially their offensive line just needs a ton of work. Florida's offensive line didn't look that great either. Who's the head coach in? The water boy, the head coach of the Bulldogs. Do you remember his name? Uh, well, I know the actor's name. That's the Fonz, <laughs> Henry Winkler. I can't remember what the coach's name was, though. They need that coach he in the locker room. To, he they fakes to, the fake. They didn't have any tackling fuel. He thinks about faking. <laughs> <laughs> they had no tackling fuel this weekend. They did, you're right. But they need, you know, well, what you're saying is they need a water boy. They, that's they the need tackling something. Fuel. They, need, they need to conjure something up to tackle. And really, joking aside, tackling is, you know, half fundamental but it's also will and going out there and sure. just wrapping up so yeah, yeah maybe there was a play one, specifically with that where there was the uh, the florida corner I'm, i can't remember his name but he had a clean shot at uh dj dallas the miami running back on one of those touchdown plays and he just like it, he just whiffed on it and even herb street said it on the call he was like yep he just didn't want it he didn't want it right yeah, there. And he, he didn't give it his full effort. And that's stuff you can coach up and they can improve on. Well, but I'm not sure. And and that's the thing is I, I'm, I'm drawing a clear line in the sand here because I think both teams made some week one errors that you can expect to see the first week of the season. But Florida throughout the game looked sharp, looked mentally focused come the third and fourth quarter. It looked like a team that knew how to win. Manny Diaz after the game said, look, we're young, we're inexperienced. Over here at Miami, we're not so sure how to win yet. But, Will, I don't know that it's just they don't know how to win. They're so young. What I saw during the game 
Whenever Florida would make mistakes, they'd go to the sidelines, correct those mistakes. Whenever Florida would do something good, they'd go to the sidelines, put their head down, get ready for the next series. When Miami would do something good, the turnover chain came out. They have like brass knuckles now for the yeah. offense or T- something like that. Those are like touchdown knuckles. The touchdown knuckles. They're over there acting like they just won a championship, you know, after every touchdown instead of getting ready for the next drive. And I don't think that's what successful football teams look like. Yeah. And before last week, when we talked about this, I thought the one difference between Mark Richt and Manny Diaz was going to be the buttoned up Miami offense, the buttoned well, not offense, but team. And I didn't see that at all. So that was kind of disappointing. And from a betting perspective, if I'm going to put my money behind a team, you want to feel confident that that team is going to go take things seriously and approach yeah. it with a business-like point of view and go want to win every week. I didn't see that from Miami. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Miami. That you're right. They just didn't look. They didn't look tight. Uh, and look, you. I think you and I both agree. Like the turnover chain is is so stupid. But even still, like it's just fun to see. Like it, it, for me, it was just cool. It like it. It really set it in that college football's back when I saw the turnover chain. I even saw at one point during the game there was a guy in, in the crowd that had made his own turnover chain. He was wearing one in the stands. Yeah. And uh, and so I loved it. The whole thing was great. You had teams going for it on fourth down. There were fake punts, fake field what goals. What's up with that stuff? I, I, I don't like you know I was what? watching a Madden game. Right. See, if, if it's my team, I might be like, what are you doing? This is <laughs> reckless. But f- f- I didn't have any, you know, I, I don't have any real, uh, I, I don't care if Florida beats Miami or if Miami beats Florida. Right. I, don't, I really don't like either team particularly. And so f- to see a bunch of fake punts, fake field goals, teams going for it on fourth, that's exciting to me. So that made it entertaining. And you know, really, I think both these teams, like for how sloppy they looked, if either of these teams had even just like a, a an average or above average offensive line, you know, they're going to be a lot better off. Miami probably wins that game if they have any semblance of an offensive line. They, I think they got, uh, Florida got 10 sacks in that yeah. game. Insane <laughs> crazy? number. Insane. 10 sacks, 16 tackles crazy. behind the line of scrimmage. And you feel bad for Jaron Williams because he's a redshirt freshman. And he, you know, he wasn't bad. Uh, no, he, looked good. He, he wasn't bad. Felipe Franks looks like Felipe Franks, like what we expect him to be. Really like he's inconsistent. Be, yeah, he's like he's just never going to be the guy that's going to get them to the SC Championship. I think. But and then the other thing I noticed when I was watching the game, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one. Dan Mullen, Florida head coach, he looks like cousin Eddie from the Vacation movies. <laughs> he does. Don't you think he does? He looks like <laughs> Randy Quaid. Like I keep I keep expecting him to like you know go onto the sideline and dig up a jar full of money like he does like in Vegas Vacation. Uh, Clark, my teeth have never been wider. My garden spitting yeah. now fifty pound tomatoes. <laughs> but the good news is the under hit on that game, Miami plus seven and a half hit. Those are both uh, yep. numbers that we gave out in last week's show. And then later on we had Hawaii and Arizona, Hey-o. which was like the opposite, right? It was there was no defense, and it was like it was like a like a, a Big Twelve game, just touchdown after touchdown, huge play. I feel bad for for the guys on defense for both those teams. Yeah, both games were sloppy, just in different ways. I mean, as we mentioned, the Florida Miami game, t- more tackling focus kind of things. In this one, there was just no defense, and. As we mentioned before on last week's show, sometimes you'll get the offenses that are off to slow starts, but that was a specific scenario with Miami and Florida. Those were two defensive coaches, two two teams that were bringing back a large part of the defense. With the Miami and Arizona game, it was a high total for a reason. You expected a lot of that up and down, but I mean, the defense was essentially not even on the field, except for the four times they picked off Cole McDonald, (laughs) Arizona 
had four interceptions and two. So the turnover battle, Hawaii lost that turnover battle six to two. There were yeah. eight total turnovers in the game, yet they still won by a touchdown. How that many times do you think a team wins when they're minus four in the turnover battle? It's got to be like like less than ten percent. Right? It, it has to be around that number. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's probably accurate. Turnovers are a huge part of football. Yeah, they're very it, indicative. Yeah, it's huge. Even if you win the turnover battle by like one, usually you're going to have a very good chance to win that game. So Hawaii loses that six to two. Interesting stat here: Cole uh, McDonald had eight incompletions and four interceptions. Wow. So when the ball hit the ground, only hit the ground, well, twice as many times as the other so team. So really, he only had four incompletions. The other four were completed just no, to the no, wrong no. He person had, on he the had team. 12 incompletions. Oh, 12, I see. Yeah, okay. so eight of those were actual incompletions. Gotcha. Four went to the other team, but enough for Hawaii to get the win. And that's a great example of early in the season, lines just being wrong. This is what I talked about with doing your homework, being ready, because early in the year, the market doesn't know. I mean, Hawaii was an 11-point underdog, yeah. implying that half the time they played, Arizona's going to win by 11 points. That right. line was just wrong. And they went out right. And and, and it was cool, because on the last play, Arizona almost came and, and tied a Khalil Tate, who's, who's awesome, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't put a lot of faith in Kevin Sumlin. He's not he, a coach. He, that, Khalil Tate's that a great like. running back. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he was one yard away, and then that that Hawaii defense. I saw him the highlight, the Hawaii defensive lineman who got him. He like chased him down all the way. He he had been in in the pass rush, and he was behind him, and he just never gave up. <laughs> and that's a perfect example. I'm sure a lot of coaches will put that on film and say, "Hey, this is why you run out the the play the whole way because he's the one who tackled him and got him a yard short." It reminded me of the uh, Titans and Rams. Remember the Super yeah. Bowl where he got yeah, tackled for like sure. a yard or two short. It was a and bummer though. Short. I saw when they would pan out at the game game and like most of the stadium is empty i mean i know that hawaii is not like a football powerhouse but that always bums me out to see that especially when you look at the opposite with that miami florida game like Sold it was out. just packed yeah it was really cool i know you'd like to see more of that in hawaii but <laughs> for man, sure they got beaches man yeah. they got stuff to stuff to do so week zeros in the books uh we did get a couple of college football headlines here some hard hard hitting breaking news Uh-oh. coming from you guys uh <laughs> but the the uh the pac-12 they say no to 9 a.m. starts. They're not going to do it, which is a good thing, right? So we, we both agree that's a stupid thing to try to increase ratings. They were going to go, they were going to try to start kicking games off earlier so they could get people on the East Coast watching. I don't know how dumb an idea it is. I don't. All right, I don't know how seriously they took it. First of all, I know that they floated it out there and had a meeting around the conference. But from what I understand, the only three coaches to really even talk about this at all and endorse this were Chip Kelly, new head coach of Colorado, Mel Tucker, and Kyle Whittingham didn't endorse it directly, but said he would be a fan of earlier games. Um, Actually, Kyle Whittingham came out and said, look, it's difficult waiting all day. These 8 a.m. or these 8 p.m. starts get kind of late. Nothing wrong with playing a 10 a.m. game once or twice a year. If you're doing it just to increase ratings, maybe that's clearly misguided. the only reason. Why yeah, yeah, doing definitely it. misguided. But I think that having early games is good for college football for many reasons. And the college, college football is a different sport than anything else. The NFL, uh, NBA. I, I understand because those are even college basketball. That's not anywhere as, as, as close to college football in one way. The alumni coming back. In, in every college across the country, there are alumni who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who like going to these games. And let's face it, if it's a 7, 8 o'clock kick, 
I, I know that I have seats around a lot of alumni at, at games that I go to, and the noon kicks, you know, a nice day out, you get more people there. You, you get the alumni who are able to come out. So I think it's important that in college football, when you're adapting the rules, you keep stuff like that in mind, that yeah. you want those people to be able to come back and have those experiences, even if it's once or twice a year. I think that would be a good thing. I just think the 9 a.m. start is dumb because – for a lot of these players, they have like pregame routines, right? And it might, I mean, if, if, if they have a long routine before they want to go out and do walkthroughs and stretches, they got, they're like there at the same at 6 a.m. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to ask. I mean, yeah, you get used to your, your routines. I don't know. It may be, that may be a hump. I know that there's a lot of players who like to go catch a four-hour movie and have a lunch before they play and have oh, a whole well, day. I mean, it's just different <laughs> than, than, you know, a 10 or 11 a.m. start. It is different. I, I, I always think that, though. When you do have a big 8 o'clock game, you know, late game, it's difficult. I wonder, yeah. you know, you're just sitting think about thinking that about mentally, it all day long. And you have to kind of stay focused and stay that that's but night difficult games are the to best do. though for the Oh, fans. they're, they're so, so much good. Fun. And who doesn't love a night game? You get the a lot of the times the stadiums doing the color coordination, right. primetime TV, it's the night atmosphere. There's nothing better than a night game. I prefer all of them to be night games, actually. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about that stuff, it's just a different... College football is unique, man. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's not been to a college football game, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show have been, but if you haven't, you've got to go experience it. It's so much different than any other sporting event. So much fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, a couple other things. You're going to a big one this year. Uh, Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to the Red River Rivalry, the Red River Shootout. So, I'm I'm booking my my plane tickets. You're not allowed to call it that anymore. I know. It's 2019. It's not PC to say a shootout. It's whatever. The Oklahoma Texas game in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. (laughs) I'm going to be there. I'm so excited. I've been to a Texas game in Austin before. This will be my first Oklahoma game, but I'm just so pumped about it. This is one of the best rivalries in college football, and I can't wait. And actually, Will's going to be very easy to spot on TV. He'll be the naked one running across the 50 yard line in in the fourth quarter i'm gonna have at college football weekly <laughs> tattooed on my chest it's gonna be some great publicity it's great for the advertising podcast. Right yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple other uh things here most of these are expected mississippi state announced tommy stevens won the starting quarterback job tommy boy now he transferred from penn state last year he was the backup there he decides to follow joe moorhead his former oc there he gets the starting nod there uh florida state announced- you know you know what he probably said after they announced that news what's that Tommy Likey. Oh boy, <laughs> he does that. I mean, Tommy Stevens does sound like an eight-year-old, doesn't it? No, that was from Tommy Boy, Chris Farley. Oh, okay. come on, uh, you Will. were doing like a little kid voice, but you're well, right. That's you're how right. Chris that's Farley from the does movie. it in the movie. You're yeah, right. either gotta, way. Come on now. Uh, James Blackman, he gets the starting job at Florida State. He played some last year. Look, looked pretty good. And Brandon Wimbush gets the starting job at, at Central Florida. He also transferred from Notre Dame. It's a big surprise there. Yeah, for sure. Now, one other headline that I saw over the week. And this uh, this really annoyed me. And, you know, I'm not going to make this a huge – this isn't going to be a Michigan podcast every week, but I saw this headline about Jim Harbaugh. And obviously he's in the headlines a lot. He makes the headlines a lot. It gets clicks, right? Any story about him tends to get a lot of pub, right? Yes. And so I see this headline. I'm scrolling through on Twitter. By the way, follow the podcast at CFB Weekly. I'm scrolling through and I see a headline that says, Jim Harbaugh says, quote, tough to beat the cheaters in the SEC. And so I look into it and damn cheaters. The media just took full advantage of this quote by adding the SEC part to the headline and it gets the clicks, right? It, and it's total bullshit. So if you look at what the real context of this quote came from, it came from this guy John U Bacon, his book that just came out. He's he's a Michigan guy who writes books about Michigan football. He follows the program really closely. For and, some reason, I always get really hungry when I read his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John U Bacon, it's a great name. So he his book Overtime 
And the the comment was clearly made in passing in reference to recruiting, not playing games, right? So it's not like he was saying, oh, last year we lost to Ohio State and Notre Dame and Florida because they're cheaters. He never mentioned any team. He never mentioned any conference. There was no mention of the SEC at all. And so the media folks just add that SEC part to get clicks. And that's not fair. I really think that's bullshit. And uh, it just allows people to, to pile the hate on Harbaugh. Now, that being said... I still don't like the quote from Harbaugh. It comes off as sour grapes. And he has a history of whining after losses and making sore loser statements that while sometimes they're right and accurate, you still have to be smart enough to know better. A perfect example came from this offseason. Jim Harbaugh was on, I hope I say this right, Tim Kawakami's podcast with The Athletic. And he was asked about Urban Meyer's legacy after everything that led to Urban Meyer's retirement at Ohio State. Now, at this point, if Harbaugh's smart, he's going to channel his inner Bill Belichick. Uh, he's a great coach on the Cincinnati. But no, what does Harbaugh do? He try, He gets like a jab in at the end. He says, quote, Urban Meyer had a winning record. Really phenomenal everywhere he's been. But also, controversy follows everywhere he's been. Now, this may not be wrong. Uh, but it's definitely the stupid thing to say because guess what? If you take a jab at a coach who's undefeated against you, it will always sound like sour grapes. So when Harbaugh says that there are cheaters in the recruiting game, fine. It's hardly a secret that players around the country are getting paid under the table. It's not breaking news. But you can't just say that. And as a Michigan fan, it really bothers me. Harbaugh is hated on by so many. And a lot of it, I think, is unfounded. But every time he does something like this, you're just fueling the fire and making it that much easier for people to hate you. Everyone knows that he's winless against Ohio State and hasn't won the Big Ten. Nobody talks about how he inherited a mess of a program under Brady Hoke and then athletic director Dave Brandon. Nobody talks about the fact that among the Power Five, only eight teams have a better record in the time that Harbaugh's been at Michigan. And even though I think the media made a mountain out of a molehill with this story, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh is not helping himself. And that's it. My rant's over. What do you think about Big Ten recruiting? I heard Urban Meyer, obviously now part of FS1, yeah. and their pregame uh, coverage. Well, he's doing actually a lot with them besides pregame. But he was talking about when he went from the SEC to Ohio State and how different recruiting was. At the SEC, it was cutthroat. It was backstabbing. And when he got to the Big Ten, it was just different. But things changed quickly. And now what I've heard is the last couple years, things are just as vicious in the Big Ten as they are anywhere else. Yeah. So do you, So... I think that it is actually lazy to just label this and say he was talking about the SEC. Let's face it. He probably was mentioning many SEC teams, sure. but he was probably talking in generality. Look, there's a lot of teams out there who do cheat, and it is a difficult, difficult game. But you're right. You can't just come out and say, well, they're cheating, they're doing this, they're doing that. You have to be aware yeah. of what you're doing. But I think that this is also a good point, that in 2019... You have to be really careful. We hear this in politics. We hear this in general news. We obviously hear this in sports. Be careful what you read. And be, you know, just just be aware as a consumer because you hear something like that. And if you just read it and, and not really know much about it, you may think he's actually taking a shot at the SEC. Right. Or, or some teams like that. And, and you that's get what that, the headlines Yeah, said, and yeah. you get that everywhere. So that's one thing that I don't really love. And I know we're not going to make this a political thing, but a term you hear a lot these days is fake news. Well, I think that the term is taken off for the wrong reasons. It's 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 important to point that out that it yeah, happens everywhere. For sure. 
Yeah, and 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 to go back to what you're saying about the recruiting in the Big Ten, Urban kind of brought that to the Big Ten. So when he first got to Ohio State, he ruffled a lot of feathers. He was pissing off like Brett Bielema and all these other coaches because before he showed up, there was kind of these unwritten rules in the Big Ten where if a player is committed to Wisconsin, the other schools aren't going to still actively recruit him. And when Harbaugh showed up, or excuse me, not Harbaugh, when Urban Meyer showed up, he immediately started going after guys that were already verbal commits to other schools and he ended up getting some. He's stealing them away from, and it pissed off a lot of coaches. And then it kind of opened up a can of worms and all the teams started to do that. Now, they're obviously the, the we've all read the stories, the bag man in the SEC. It's not just the SEC. Players are finding a way to get paid. We've seen uh, stuff happen at USC, at Southern Cal. Um, and, you know, a lot of Michigan fans, they love to say that they do everything right and everything is is you know clean and they don't do that i personally i find that hard to believe i find it hard to believe that that there are big programs that can recruit on that kind of level that don't find a way to circumvent the rules but that being said yeah it it it's i mean the re so the whole reason why they added the sec thing is because in the previous weeks uh rashawn gary who was a michigan player he's now on the, he was drafted by the green bay packers he came out uh it was in for the same book he was interviewed for it and he said that one, he didn't name it, but he said a, a school that was recruiting him besides Michigan offered him and his family $300,000 to come and play there. And he said he ended up turning them down and going to Michigan. Shut now, up. Yeah. And so uh, you Do look you at the schools. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, I don't know why he would lie about that. Right. Uh, right. I'm not saying because I don't believe it. I'm just saying. Yeah, I th- I think a lot of players are getting paid, man. I think there's a lot of money going around, especially. Isn't there? Doesn't I know that seems like a high number, but when you consider when he was coming out of high school, he was the number two overall recruit. He was like a five star well, guy. Not, I'm not saying it's too high. I mean, right. I think I think that if you look at the price for what he could do to a university, that's probably oh cheap. yeah for sure. Yeah, that's probably but, yeah. I mean, the whole idea, is, and and then you look at kind of the schools that were on his final list besides Michigan, like Auburn was in there. Uh, Clemson was in there. There were a couple other SEC schools, and so I think people kind of just took that and ran with it, and then that's where that headline came from. But I th- honestly, I feel like players are getting paid all over the place. It's not just the SEC. I know you didn't necessarily want to go hear this conversation, and we'll yeah. make it quick. But we have to be right around the corner from paying players. For I sure. know it's it's a tired topic, and it gets talked about all the time. Yeah. But f- this is a great example. It's going to happen anyway. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like legalized gambling. I'm sure if it'll be messy on, at first, but. Yeah, all the kinks will be worked out eventually, and I, I think eventually they'll be able to figure it out. Special shout-out goes to Wise Money Sports. So the cool thing about Wise Money Sports is it's a collective of professional betting knowledge. you got multiple pro bettors picking from multiple sports, baseball, football, soccer, and hockey once the NHL season starts back up. So if you're a member like me, not only would you have – uh, one on both the football games from week zero. You would have cashed a winning ticket from the Premier League too. Man City, first half money line against uh, Barnmouth. I-, I had that one. And so it just goes to show you that it's a wide-ranging portfolio, lots of different packages to choose from. I really think you guys will like it. So check them out at wisemoneysports.com and on Twitter at wisemoneysports. So 
Tyler, it is week one. We're here. Oh, yeah, baby. Dude, the best week of the year. The best part, the reason why I love week one. It's the most you know, a wonderful <laughs> time. It's better than Christmas. I like that you're singing a Christmas song. It's, it's not actually because that's no. when we're getting to bowl season. No way. That is you know actual why Christmas. You know why? I've always thought Labor Day is my favorite holiday just because it's the it's week one of, of college football. And what they start, they just started to do this in the past few years. I don't think that they did this forever is that for week one, because it's that last week of NFL preseason and they don't have any, there's no good NFL games, They we've got college games on Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, Sunday night, and Monday night. Yes, right? It's the best thing in the world. We get five straight days of college football. There's some really big ones. And I've got my whole little game day ritual. I love to uh, wake up and get coffee and a breakfast burrito and then watch game day. So my, my, my game day ritual is uh, wake up, have six bloody Marys and a uh, little breakfast burrito, <laughs> get going. We're done by noon. No, man, it's, it's always great. And like I said uh, earlier, those day games, they're always fun. And, and you know, I actually, I'm traveling a little bit for work, so I, I, they start at different times for me, but it's always good to get those early games, maybe a, a late breakfast when you're having lunch yeah. and you just work all the way through the night. And it's the best. I, I, Saturdays are busy for me because I'm live betting. And so, I mean, that's what I do, obviously, for, right. for a living. So I'm up early for those European soccer games, and we're working clear all the way through, you know, midnight for, You're the, for staying those late up for Pac-12 the, for games. The, yeah, the Pac-12 after dark. Those are usually Absolutely. good ones, too. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, as long as you're going in with a plan for live betting and you know kind of where you're going to go and have some ideas of the game, it's always, you know, you got you, you got to be in front of the screen, Will. Yep. So you ready to pick some games? Right, let's do it. So we're going to put once again, you know, Tyler's a professional better. He may not necessarily be, uh, you know, putting his bankroll on some of these games. We're just going to try to try to force some picks out of him. If you really want his picks, go and, and you can get a lot of those on wisemoneysports.com. What I can do is throughout these, I'll give leans. So if I have a certain, you know, lean, maybe not all the way, I'll give that for a certain pick. I do have one best bet, though, this week. Okay, great. All right, uh, first up, Thursday night, UCLA plus three at Cincinnati. Over-under for this game, by the way, 60 and a half. I've also seen this number as low as two and a half, by the way. So I yeah. like this game a lot. So Cincinnati, they're coming off a really strong year. They had 10 wins uh, with Luke Fickle last year. Uh, and you look at... Uh, so one, one of the things I look at a lot when I'm going through games is uh, the S&P Plus rankings. So just to give you a little context on what that is, the S&P Plus is a, a ranking system by, from football outsiders, and it kind of takes a lot of things in, in, into uh, their rating system. So it includes things like efficiency, explosiveness, field position, finishing drives, and turnovers. And it kind of takes all that information and it creates their own ranking system, right? So last year, Cincinnati finishes 36th in defensive S&P and 50th overall. And they bring 14 starters back. UCLA, on the other hand, they bring a ton of starters back, right? But their team went three and nine. So they've got 19 starters back. Quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson is back. I think that Chip Kelly is going to have the Bruins program moving in the right direction this year. I think they could definitely win six or seven games and get a bowl game. But the main thing I'm looking at here is that UCLA is 1-11 straight up on the road the last two years. It is a young QB. I like Dorian Thompson Robinson, but he still doesn't have a lot of game experience. And whenever I see a team that struggles on the road if they're opening up their game on the road against a good team like cincinnati with a good defense i just don't really like that and so for me they need to show me that they can win a road game before i'm putting my money on them so for this game i am going to be taking cincinnati with the points yeah when i was handicapping these games it, the thing when i started doing my uh 
I, I liked UCLA, and I've liked UCLA like since the offseason. I mean, like a month ago, right. I was saying, I'm putting my money on the Bruins, but the more I dug into this game, the more conflicting information I found. And what you want when you're building a good handicap, and from the betting point of view, is a lot of good information that starts piling up for one side. I mean, last week's Hawaii-Arizona game, it's like the more you dig, the more you found that was positive for Hawaii. I liked UCLA coming into this game, but the more info I found, you just gave a great stat, 11-1, their last 12 on the road. Um, or 1-11. Excuse me, 1-11, one, one yeah. their last 12 on the road. Uh, uh, UCLA, excuse me, a Cincinnati hasn't lost a home opener since 2001. So that's a great stat there for Cincinnati at home. But then you look at UCLA, and they're 15-6 and six in season openers, their last 21. So you're getting two teams who are good in the first week, and I understand a lot of people listening may like Cincinnati because of what they did last year, but I want to be very I want to be very pronounced about this because it's a big mistake that people make is just betting on what you saw last. And what you'll hear me say throughout today's show is kind of throw that out the window. Now if if a team went, you know, 0 and 12, let's not forget that completely, but it's a new year. In college, you get such a heavy turnover for a lot of these teams. You can't just say well, UCLA went 3-9 and nine this year. They may win four or five games this year. Folks, they may win eight or nine games this year if all clicks and all goes well for Chip Kelly and UCLA. This is a very talented team. And if Dorian Thompson-Robinson takes that next step, he's not a babyface quarterback anymore. He can make plays. I think that this is actually an interesting game for UCLA. As I said, Will, I leaned them to start off. The more I found, it becomes a pass for me. If the Bruin defense can get plays out of their secondary and they can really stop the passing game, I think the Bruins could win this. But the young, inexperienced secondary for the Bruins make this uh, a no play for me. I think we could see some points here. Yeah, okay. All right, well, next up, the Holy War. Now, this is one that I feel like isn't as much on the radar as far as really great rivalries in college football, but it should be. So Utah and BYU, they're, they're playing this game in Provo. So Utah's going on the road to BYU. They're heading a little bit south. The line right now is... Utah minus five. The over-under is 48. So Utah this year, lofty expectations. A lot of people are calling for them to win the Pac-12. I've even seen some people say they're a dark horse for, for the playoff. They, I'm always wary with teams like that. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about Utah is that they're kind of used to flying under the radar where no one expects anything out of them, and then they'll win nine or ten games. It, it will be interesting to see if where finally they have a, a, a year where they're not flying under the radar. They're on everyone's radar. They're going to have a target on their back every week. What will they do with it? But they are getting this recognition for a reason. They've got 14 starters back. Uh, Tyler Huntley at quarterback and Zach Moss at running back. Probably one of the best quarterback running back combos in the whole nation. Um, you look at Utah. They have maybe the best defensive line unit in the whole country. I mean, it's really good. They're always strong on defense. They're bringing back a lot on offense. They have the guys for Tyler Huntley to throw to on the outside. And then you look at this game specifically. Utah's won this Holy War game eight years running. BYU on the other side. Quarterback Zach Wilson, he's got to improve. And head coach Kalani Satake, hope I'm saying that correctly, <laughs> has a tough first four games. Really tough. Their non-conference schedule is brutal. I mean, technically they're independent, so I don't know if you can call that non-conference. But... Uh, he he definitely wants to break this eight-game win streak. And they return four out of five offensive line starters, which they'll need considering Utah's defensive line unit is the strength of the team. So I'm, I am high on Utah this year, but seven of the last eight Holy War games have been decided by one score. And with BYU at, BYU at home, 
I think the Cougars keep it close. Ultimately, I think Utah wins this game, but with five points, I'm taking BYU against the spread. Wow, I like Utah in this game. And uh, again, not enough to... I I, want to clarify, I'm so careful to actually put a game on the portfolio, you know, and and say I like it because, you know, what... It's just, you don't just want to be throwing games out there. I'm very selective yeah. with the games that I really, really like a lot. But if you had to force me to make a pick, it would certainly be for Utah this game for a few reasons. Utah, I know they're on the road. I know they're going to a, to BYU, and I understand this has been close the last couple of years. But Utah's last four games away from Rice-Eccles Stadium, they've won by 6, 7, 7, and 41. I understand it's all within a score, but within the context of those games, they didn't play that well. I mean, they got outplayed a lot of those games. And let's keep in mind, except all except for one of those matchups, Bronco Mendenhall was the coach at BYU. Yeah. Bronco Mendenhall had an unbelievable record. He was at BYU from 2005 to 2015. His worst season was his first season at 6-6. Six and six. He only followed that up with five of the next six seasons winning double-digit games. I mean, and then he went eight and five, eight and five, nine and four before leaving. Yeah, you yeah. and I both like him. Oh, he's We're going to get on that with Virginia later on, underrated head coach, yeah, absolutely. Coach. And so Kalani uh, Satake, the new head coach, comes in. He's gone uh, in his uh, first couple of years. He's gone nine and four, right, taking over for Bronco Mendenhall. And then four and nine, seven and six. I don't think he's anywhere close to the level and caliber coach that Bronco Mendenhall is. I'm going to give a great example that not a lot of people may know about. And I'm sorry about that, but he, he used to be the head coach at Florida. He just got fired before Dan Mullen. Uh, who am I? Uh, Jim McElwain. Jim McElwain. Okay, Jim McElwain went to the University of, uh, excuse me, a Colorado State University, a smaller school in the Mountain West Conference. They had had trouble. Losing season after losing season after losing season. Jim McElwain goes in in one year, wins double-digit games, gets the team ranked in the top 25, and then takes a job in Florida. What that tells me is that call is that coaching is so important in college football. It's not just about the talent. Now, we know Alabama, Ohio State, the Michigans have more talent, but it's just as much about the X's and O's and what you do on the field. I think Satake is three or four levels below Bronco Mendenhall. And I believe, unfortunately for BYU, this program is in the middle of an erosion process. I think that they have a. Str- I think they struggle this year. I think they struggle the next few years. And keep in mind that Utah has won nine out of ten games the last ten seasons. You combine all that with the fact that Utah does have expectations. I do not expect Kyle Whittingham's team to come out flat. Five points. I know it's. I would be so much more comfortable, obviously, with three. But I'll still lean like Utah minus the five okay. right there. We'll still at least put that on the bet board. I know this okay. may not be a uh, we'll something up Tyler's going to put in his portfolio, <laughs> but it's going on the bet board for the show for sure. I just think that, that you know that's a really fierce rivalry. That is one where you can kind of throw the records out. Now, obviously, there are no records in week one to throw out, but <laughs> nonetheless, you can do that. Uh, next up, now we get the Saturday games. South Carolina, they play North Carolina. We got an in-state rivalry. Now, this game is in Charlotte, North Carolina, so technically it's neutral, but we're going to go ahead and give that home edge a little bit to North Carolina there. The line we have right now, South Carolina favored by 7.5, over under at 63. Now, Mac Brown's first year back in Chapel Hill, where he coached for nine years before leaving for Texas. The Tar Heels return 14 starters, uh, 7 on offense, 7 on defense. But you look at their record last year. I think they were, uh, oof, I think they were three and nine. They, were, they they had a bad team last year. Then you look on the other side of the ball. South Carolina, 
also returns 14 starters 7 and 7, just like North Carolina. The Gamecocks should be improved in almost every way. I really think they're a team that will make a jump from an improvement standpoint, but their schedule is one of the toughest in the country. And so when you look at this game, this first game against North Carolina, I think that South Carolina is licking their chops and they're saying, well, we've got this brutal schedule. This is one where we can go and show people that we're a better team, that we're much improved. They have the edge at that quarterback with Jake Bentley. I think Mac Brown gets the Tar Heels moving in the right direction this year, but I am predicting the Gamecocks will hammer North Carolina this week one. And to me, I see this line, it should be more like 10 points. So I am taking South Carolina lay in the seven and a half. Did you mention that uh, UNC is also starting a freshman at quarterback? No, no, I, okay. I, I I forgot that. I can't remember his name. Yeah, but they are. And that's another plus for uh, South Carolina. I do also like the Gamecocks here. Um, I mean, for all the reasons you mentioned, Will. And this is actually one of the biggest line moves. So it opened up at uh, seven, seven and a half, moved all the way almost to... Um, nine and a half now. So, what do you think about the new line? Nine it's and now a half? at nine and a half. I believe really? so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll double check that. I actually have my uh, book pulled up right now. Interesting. But yeah. what do you think? You about should the nine check and that because I thought, uh, you know, at nine and a half, that's a little bit of a tougher number because I do see them as, as South Carolina being about ten point favorites. L- let me, let me say something though about football. Football is a very unique sport because you have key numbers. Right. This doesn't really exist in any other sport, and the key numbers in football are three, four, and seven because games typically end on those numbers. Obviously due to how Touchdowns, footballs goals, yeah, yeah yeah exactly it's rare like that's why whenever a safety happens you know it just throws a monkey wrench or if someone misses an extra point it throws a total Will, monkey wrench into the line the line right now as we record on august 26th at uh 10 o'clock p.m eastern time 10 even 10 wow and that's okay. on bravado.com which is a more okay. square site so it may be nine and a half or ten at places i still think you can I, I think you'll be if you shop around i think you can find that closer to eight points and if you can get it below nine I, you should still take south carolina in this game they're they are the better team by a mile can i throw south carolina in a potential teaser a fun little teaser for the audience there you go i like this teaser folks okay so make it a six and a half or seven point teaser you can't do six because the second game I'm going to give out. You tease South Carolina down, and then you take the University of Colorado Buffaloes. They're 13 and a half point favorites at, at Mile High Stadium against CSU. Uh, I take that number down to an even seven. So 13 and a half, a six and a half point teaser. If whoever you know you make bets through offers seven only, then do that. That's fine. But the six and a half or seven point teaser, CU. And South Carolina. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think the Buffs are going to hammer the Rams. I do too. The Mile High Showdown. There we go. Okay, next game. Duke, plus 34 and a half, trying to upset Alabama. Let's go Duke. Let's <laughs> go Duke. So this game, you know, look, a 34-point spread is huge, and that's ridiculous. But I think if you look at the first half line, sometimes that can be interesting. And, and, and the same goes for this Houston-Oklahoma game. Whenever you see these huge point spreads or huge over-unders, sometimes there still is value there. So this first half, Bama line minus 21. So Bama's coming off getting their asses kicked by Clemson, and they're going to be angry. I think they're going to be motivated. I actually think they could be up 28-0 on Duke in the first half. So I don't think that's too terrible of a bet. And then maybe you can do the same this Houston OU game, the over-unders 84, which I think Tyler mentioned before is the record. high or record total 
for week one amongst FBS schools. Is that right? That is correct. That 84 number is huge. And especially when you look at the fact that Oklahoma only has four starters coming back on offense. Maybe they start a little bit slow. They have eight starters returning on defense, and they have a new defensive coordinator in Alex Grinch. Maybe, you know, this game, it ends up, I, I, I definitely think OU is going to crush Houston, but will it hit that 84 points? I actually don't think it's, I, I think that you could, you know, pretty easy. I don't like taking unders in Big 12 games, you know, for a lot <laughs> of reasons, but I think under 84 is not bad. Okay, so I was actually about to correct some of, well, let, let's just make this clear. This is not a gambling show, but we still want to put good sports betting advice out there when we do talk about it. I, I do like your, your mentality, and actually what you said about the Alabama first half is one of the sharper things you've said so far. But keep in mind, folks, when you get big totals like that, it's not an automatic play. You have to, have to still have a reason for betting the first half under. There has to be, because let's let's face it, if, if, if there's, you know, a re, if there's a high-scoring game, the market's taken into account that it may be a slow-starting first uh, half. Yeah. But... Alabama is a team that almost historically always in these non-conference games, doesn't matter whether they're playing Citadel or Duke, almost always starts slow. The motivation's not there. And throughout the course of the entire game, Alabama has that wake up at halftime. The second half comes around and they are all pedal to the metal and you get the actual Alabama team. So there's a reason that Alabama has historically over the last three or four years been a great first half bet. But you know what you're seeing is all the sharps are starting to understand this and the market notices. So what will happen is typically if the a total is for hypothetical reasons, 70, the over under at halftime will usually be around 33, 34 and a half. Right. If they get an Alabama game now, yeah. it's probably going to be around 31 or 32 because the market knows still could be bettable, but it's catching up. So the same thing in the OU game, I was about to say. Let's be careful just because it's a big over-under, but then you mentioned they're only bringing four starters back on offense. It's a very tangible reason they could have a slow start to the game. You get the big over-under. I yeah. like that first half as well. Yeah, and I mean, look, we all expect Jalen Hurts to do well at Oklahoma. I do for sure, but it's the first game. You know, maybe there will be some kinks to work out. So under 84 in the Houston OU game I like, but you're right. I think the betters are sharp to the first half line with Bama because – just like you said, the line's 34 and a half, so you'd probably expect that that first half line to be somewhere around like 17 or 18. Yeah. It's 21. That that That's a pretty uh, noticeable jump. So Wow, wait. It, it, it went up, huh? It's minus 21 first half. That's what I saw in five dimes. You know, once again, a lot of these numbers you can shop around. You can find different numbers here and there, but they're usually not going to be off by that much, right? Yeah. And so that's a big one for me. So, you know, maybe we just avoid the – maybe avoid the – the Duke Alabama game altogether. What's unless the you really spread? Think What's the spread? Thirty-four the, and a half for, is, uh, for do, Duke. Do you know what the uh, first half spread is? Twenty-one. That's what. Yeah. So it's, oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So the the spread total spread for the oh, game. Will Alabama Chambers. by thirty-four and a half. The first half line is Bama minus twenty-one. William Chambers Jr. the third. <laughs> I like that actually. Right. If it's twenty-one, that's a nice number. I for, think they could be up like, for, for Duke like 20, 28 nothing by halftime. No. Alabama could. Or, I I disagree. Really. I like Duke. Plus oh, the 21 wow. in the first half. And it's for all the reasons we talked about. I could see Alabama coming out to a sluggish start. S- slow on offense. Really? Remember last year when Alabama played Citadel before the uh, Iron Bowl? Yeah. They were down 10-0 in the first quarter. That's this was a little a- different than week one, though, especially considering the last time we saw Alabama, they were getting smoked by Clemson. Don't but you think that they're going to come out pissed off? I should have this, and I don't, but I would be willing to say that their non-conference early games, this happens as well. That Alabama gets off the I don't think starts. so. I think that's why you see the number is minus 20. M- well, you know, much more than half of the spread is... is Let's, is on the first half. Let's so. put a let's put some juice on it, Will. Okay. Let's you put a little, add this to the bet board. Let's slide it to the bet board. All right. Board. So I'm going to take over minus 21 first half for Bama, and uh, Tyler I'm sure is going to go under. 
Uh, well, uh, I like Duke football the wait, first wait, wait. time maybe anyone you, you, said you that ever. You mean the spread, right? So I'm going Duke plus the 21 in yeah, the first half, first right? half. Yep. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah, taking yeah, yeah. Bama minus 21, first yeah. half. I think we're both uh, we're, we're both liking the under Houston-Oklahoma total of 84. I mean, that to me is a pass. Okay. Yeah. I like the under there at 84. I think that number's a little bit high for okay. week one. Okay. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Well, and, and I want to say this also. If I were to have to be forced to pick a side there, I would certainly side with the under. I never buck historical trends. Anytime we get, this is the highest total in the history of the game, I'm never going to take that over. That's the squarest right. thing ever. So yeah. yeah, if I had to pick, I'll take I, the under. I get what you're you. saying, though. Yeah. It's hard. So this is different. You're, you know, I'm just like a hardcore college football fan. I've been watching <laughs> my whole life, so I, I'm willing to pick these games. You know, a little history, too. Uh, this is a long-running tradition with my dad and I. We've been doing this now for more than a decade where we would just pick against the spread against each other and we would just pick the big games. So we were never looking at it from a professional gambling standpoint like Tyler is. Well, and few so do. That's why, yeah, and that, that's why, you know, it almost seems like we're holding a gun to his head making him pick some of these games. And and it feels like that too. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Northwestern, plus six and a half at Stanford. I think we may have another disagreement here. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I like Northwestern in this game. They've got 12 starters back, six on both sides of the ball. Last year, they were top 30 in defensive S&P. Not nearly as productive on offense, but they do have a new quarterback, Hunter Johnson, who was a five-star recruit transferred from Clemson. And maybe w with him, they can have more of an effective passing game. Look, I'm not expecting Northwestern to light it up offensively, but the defense will still be their team strength. They're well coached by Pat Fitzgerald. And then you look on the other side, I see this as a down year for Stanford. They returned just four starters on offense. They still they lost a ton on the offensive line. I like KJ Costello, the quarterback, but I don't know if they have enough sport uh, support around him for them to put up points, especially considering that they're not expected to be a very good team defensively. Uh, they've got nine starters back in total, four on offense, five on defense. I'm very much down on the Cardinal this year. You know, this is the battle of the smart guys, Stanford, Northwestern, both great schools. I think Pat Fitzgerald is a very underrated head coach. I like Northwestern here on the road with six and a half points. Yeah, I just have question marks about uh, this Northwestern offensive line. And I think that's going to be the biggest key to the game. I think Stanford gets the quarterback. Remember last year, Northwestern last in uh, the Big Ten in sacks uh, given up. And they bring back uh, three starters there on offense. So not only did those three starters not perform very well last year, the two filling in are going to be young. Uh, two and six over the last two seasons when allowing 28 points or more Northwestern is, and I think Stanford can move the football here. You mentioned Stanford and experience there on offense. Uh, they recently have switched up their offensive philosophy, which I think helps Stanford. The more vertical they can be and allow, I mean, look, they're not the most talented team in the world, but the more they open things up, we've seen Stanford start to score more points. I think they can move the ball. Slight lean there for the seven. I'm not pushing, I'm not going to put it on the bet board. Okay. I'm, I'm a little scared there to go against uh, Mr. Fitz, Mr. <laughs> Pat Fitzgerald, yeah. who, if you hear Pat Fitzgerald talk, he, this guy has done so much with so little. Northwestern doesn't get into any of the recruits. They're not historically good, yet Pat Fitzgerald, every year, they're not a powerhouse, but they're consistently a team that you, you look at on your schedule and, yeah. and, and, and you know, you, you kind of fear. So, I love Pat Fitzgerald. Nice guy, great personality, great, great man in general. So, um, he doesn't get enough uh, respect, so... There, yeah, there, there, I, I there's, no my, there's my uh, little... I get no respect. Uh, hey. All right. 
I take my wife. <laughs> uh, next game, Boise State plus five and a half versus Florida State. This game being played in Jacksonville, so it's technically not a home game for Florida State, but it is in the state of Florida, very you know, thousands of miles away from Boise. <laughs> and so, uh, Boise State plus five and a half. Tyler, what do you got on this one? Well, when you leave five minutes outside of the city of Boise, that seems like a thousand miles outside of Boise. They, they don't. I don't think they get out much up there at, uh, <laughs> at Boise. But uh, this is actually my game of the weekend. I like Florida State here, minus the 5.5. And, and it's saying something, because this game opened up at 3.5, and, and it's rare that I'll give a game out on this show that's moved two points over a key number in four. But here's the thing. As I talked about earlier, fans often, and a lot of betters, often remember what you saw last. And last year, Florida State had a 5-7 and seven season. They won three games in the ACC. That's what people remember. But there's a few positives here. James Blackman, named uh, starting quarterback at uh, Florida State, he beat out Alex Hornibrook, which actually is... Uh, didn't Hornibrook used to play at uh, Wisconsin? Wisconsin? Yeah. I mean, this guy's seen seen action. He's seen time. And if you're going to start the season, Willie Taggart, I know that he always wants to... Uh, he. he He's kind of coaching for not his job. He's not on the hot seat. But look, if he doesn't start winning games, that's not going to last long at Florida State. Absolutely. So, Hornybrook loses the job. I think that's a huge positive. On uh, Boise's side, I think it's a negative at quarterback. True freshman Hank Bachmeyer starting for Boise, replacing Brett Ripien. Brett Ripien was an all-timer. I mean, talk about following someone who was so good. And Hank Bachmeyer, even though they've talked about how mature he is, not great reviews coming from camp. Florida State on defense. Transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3, this is really going to help things. It's much better suited for the Florida State defensive personnel to make that change as they brought in Harlan uh, Harlan Barnett. Will, you may have known a little bit about Harlan Barnett. He was at Michigan State for the last couple years, actually. He's been a Spartan since 2007, co-defensive coordinator since 2015, and Michigan State runs one of the most structured 4-3 defenses in college football. That's what Harlan Barnett knows well. That's what team, this team's going to be running. A lot of people may say, yeah, Tyler, a defensive transition over one season. you got to give this defense some time. No way. Not with the experience that Barnett has in this 4-3 defense. And like I said, it fits Florida State's personnel better than the 3-4 did. Boise State, deep at receiver, but that's about yet. That's about it on offense. This is a young, inexperienced team on both sides of the football. I think Florida State, who is hungry after that 5-7 and seven season, season opening in the, in, in the conference, they know about Clemson, but besides that, I truly believe they're talking right now in Florida State about this being the year they get back, potentially compete for the Final Four. Will, Willie Taggart, not coaching for his job yet, with the motivation, the much better defense, much more talented defense, and the improvements on offense, I think Florida State could completely run away with this game. I love Florida State minus five and a half. I agree with you. I mean, the Seminoles bring back 16 starters. And I mean, even if they, let's, yeah, Florida State went five and seven. Even still, their roster compared to Boise State, it's not even close. No, exactly. They have so much more talent. And I got to admit, I hate picking against Boise State when they are underdogs. They're traditionally a, a very strong underdog team. But I agree with what you said. I think all the signs point in the direction of Florida State winning this game and by more than a touchdown. So we're both pretty heavy there on Florida State minus five and a half. Yeah, and I mean, you led the whole you know breakdown of that game by saying it's in Jacksonville. It's a, it's a home game for Florida State. Yeah. It's not really the most fair thing in the world, but hey, if you're betting on Florida State, you love it, right? Right. It all helps your team. So, yep, there you go. All right, just a couple games left. Virginia minus two and a half at Pittsburgh. Now, this game might not just jump off at you as being a really huge matchup for week one. But 
To me, this line stinks. It reeks. I look at these two teams, and I think that Virginia should be a touchdown favorite. Pitt has been all over the place since Pat Narduzzi has taken over for the Panthers. They run the ball more than anyone that isn't a triple option team in the whole nation. Uh, They lost two 1,000-yard rushers in the backfield to the NFL. Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, he's looked like a game manager at best. He only threw for 12 touchdowns last year. Meanwhile, Virginia has Bryce Perkins at quarterback, who I think is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the nation. They have what should be a solid offensive line, but most importantly, eight starters back on what will be one of the best defenses in the ACC this year. Bronco Mendenhall, we talked about him earlier. He is a great coach. I think he has a, the decided edge over Pat Narduzzi in, in the coaching matchup. To me, I feel like Virginia should be a touchdown favorite in this game, so it's easy for me. I'm going heavy on Virginia minus two and a half. You may have just uh, convinced me there, Will. I like that breakdown. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to add there, but uh, I, I do like Virginia this year in general. I think they're one of the surprise teams. This kind of this kind of flew under my radar, so I'm going to dig into this a little bit right now, but heck, right now, I love that breakdown. Okay, and last but not least, this is the big matchup for week one. Everyone's waiting for Oregon, plus three and a half versus Auburn. This game is being played in Dallas at Jerry World. We got a 56 and a half point, uh, point total. Auburn. Auburn is coming off of disappointing 8-5 and five season, including a 3-5 and five record in the SEC. When you look into their schedule, though, from last year, they really only had one bad loss. Their one bad loss was against Tennessee. Their other four losses, LSU, at Mississippi State, at Georgia, and at Alabama. Those are all great teams. Auburn was underrated last year, I think, and their S&P Plus rankings show it. Last year, the Tigers ended the season ranked 7th in overall S&P, with a total, or excuse me, with a top 25 offense and a top 10 defense. This year, they returned 14 starters, seven on both sides of the ball. Now, they do lose quarterback Jared Stidham, uh, and they have named a true freshman Bo Nix to the starter. This is the only part that's making me a little nervous about them. Uh, But he does bring some athleticism to this position, which gives Gus Malzahn another wrinkle to the offense that he hasn't had in, in, in the last couple of years with a mobile quarterback. They return all five on the offensive line. One of the best defensive lines in the nation, too, led by Derek Brown and Nick Coe. Auburn will have the edge on special teams, too, so don't don't forget about that. Now, meanwhile, Oregon also has all five back on the offensive line. So expect this to be you know, a, a game that's going to be won in the trenches. Of course, everyone knows Justin Herbert taking the snaps for quarterback for the Ducks. They lose... Four of their seven top tacklers on defense last year, along with defensive coordinator Jim Levitt, who Tyler knows well. He, he was at CU for a while. New defensive coordinator Andy Avalos, Avalos, he from Boise State takes over. Now, this guy comes with a very good track record at Boise State. However, I think it's a lot easier for someone who's coordinating at Boise State. They're always going to have better talent than the teams they're playing in the Mountain West. So I expect the Auburn defense to keep Oregon from scoring a ton of points. I think we've seen Justin Herbert. He struggles when he's under a lot of pressure. They do have a good offensive line, but I think Auburn's defensive line is going to get after him. And I expect Gus Malzahn to craft a good game plan to make the true freshman quarterback Bo Nix comfortable. I like Auburn uh, minus three and a half, and I think they'll win, uh, win outright by maybe a touchdown or more. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough here to pick against Auburn. I mean, you look at the Pac-12's record, Big games, out of conference, neutral sites. It's just not that good. And Auburn against the Pac-12, 6-2 straight up. So all the numbers uh, on the outside point to Auburn showing up here. And as you mentioned, Will, it's always important to look at those stats. What do they really mean? How good was a team? Let's face it, in the SEC West, you have a very difficult schedule. I know, Will, you're not the biggest SEC guy, but it's the truth. They get beat up there. 
the stats proved it. Uh, Auburn going to have another good year this year. I expect him to get off to a fast start. You're right. Bo Nix, true freshman. That's going to be a... It's a big one. Yeah. It's a big first game if for that. If he doesn't make mistakes, which a true freshman week one inevitably will make against that good Ducks D, I just don't see Oregon winning this game. Until the Pac-12 shows up and wins one of these things, I'm not going to buy in it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Auburn beat Washington week one last year in this same kind of spot. Yeah, exactly. And I think Washington uh, last year and this year is a better team than Oregon. Yeah, they were supposed to be the big dogs of the Pac-12, so on and so forth. Look what happened. Yep. All right, guys. That's the show. Go ahead and uh, make sure to listen to us. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, too, at CFB Weekly. See you next week.